Well, I want you guys to take a moment to think back to a year ago. Um, you know, I kind of want to. Um, but uh, Palm Sunday, um, we, were, we were like eight or nine days into the 17-day the flatten the curve. Remember that? It's only 17 days. That's it. Then we're back. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and we, we honestly, I remember, cause I'll look at like posts that I made and I'm like, Hey guys, just a few more weeks and then everything's back. Right. I mean, we had no idea, but here's the deal. Um, I think it is really easy to miss the progress that has taken place since then. Like my life was drastically different a year ago to now we were in full on lockdown mode. We were preparing for Easter online. It was like at the point where if you left your house, you had that neighbor across the street. That's like, Hey, Get back in there, right? Like, I mean, it was, it was intense. It's, we're not there now, right? Things have mostly opened back up. There's restrictions. We're in masks. We have no problem with that at all. But I'm glad. Like, we'd get Saturdays. We'd just be bored. Like, we like, do we have to go outside? I don't want to go outside. Yeah, like, I mean, I would go to the grocery store just to hang out. Like, I'd, like, just hang out with the bakery ladies because it was the only way I could socialize that wasn't illegal, right? I mean, that's, that's what life was like a year ago, right? So we have made a lot of progress, and we need to be thankful and appreciative of that, right? I think it's so easy to be weighed down on the things that still haven't gone back to normal, on the restrictions that are still in place, and the things we still can't do, and not take time to focus on the positives, on, on the progress that we have made. I think that's good for our spirits. I think that allows us to see things that are really easy for us to overlook otherwise. I know for my family, it's been a difficult year for everybody, but there's been a lot of positives this past year for my family too. And I think if I just focus on the difficulties, I miss the positives. Like my family, we've, been, we've actually developed a really good rhythm of, of like nightly traditions, of weekly traditions. We've developed a really good like Sabbath day that we just unplug and do nothing. And that was really hard for us to do before the pandemic, but I think God used this to help us to readjust some of our rhythms. Um, we've gotten into juicing, which I used to hate fruits and vegetables. I still hate fruits and vegetables, but I've been able to trick my body and disguise them as juice, and I'll drink them, and I like it. So that's something that I think I needed a global pandemic to start eating vegetables, and it happened, right? So we have all of these positives that I think we can note and I think that's so important for our spirits right now. And I think as we wrap up this series on loving our neighbors, I think it's just as important. Because if we're just being candid, if we're being candid, the idea of sharing our faith, of being bolder, of loving our neighbors is a bit daunting. And sometimes it's like ugh, another conversation about this. And, and the reason for that. The reason I think we feel that way is because loving our neighbors, this commandment that Jesus has given, there is no end to it. You know, it's not like, okay, we're done. We did it. Like, you turn around, and there, in fact, if you're doing it right, the need just grows because you're connecting with more people and you recognize more needs. But uh, as, we're, as we're focusing on that, it's so important that we focus on progress, on where we have grown, on what we can do this week, on the little steps, not on all that still needs to take place, not on all the things that we wish were different, because that's where it gets overwhelming. Jesus has asked, what's the most important thing we can do in our faith? And he says, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is equally important, which means it's not second, it's equally important. And here's what he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that's the most important thing we can do. That's how we live out our faith. So who is our neighbor? It's anybody that's around us. In fact, one of our church members came up to me after the first week of this teaching, and he put it better than me, and, I, and I'm like, I'm going to steal that and quote you on it. Steve Smith, he said, I've, I, our neighborhood isn't just where we live, it's where we go. 
So, so our neighbors aren't just the people that share an address with us. It's not just the people that live directly near us. Our neighbors are all of the side characters around us. So it's not your family. It's not your closest friends. It's all the other people, all the people that you have to be more intentional to show love to. So as we're wrapping up this series, it's important we think of what progress can we make this week? Not just, not just dismiss this and say, oh, I need to do a better job of this, but really think, what is the progress we can make this week? And here's, this would be like a good goal. This would be like an indicator if we're doing this well. Here's a question to ask yourself. If you moved, if you had to move, would your neighbors even care? And I'm not just talking about the people that live near you, but the other people in your life. If you moved, would the people around you even care? Or would it be like, oh, okay, I get it. That's what happens, that's life, moving on. <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, if you had to switch jobs by your choice or by, you know, an outside force, if you switch jobs, would your coworkers even care that you're not there anymore? Some of you are laughing because you know it's, you're like, they wouldn't because we don't, a lot lot of people don't approach our jobs thinking, I'm going to love my neighbor today. I think that's a really, because Jesus, that's the challenge. That's the kind of life he wants us to live. That's the kind of life we want to live. If we're really loving our neighbors and the people around us, the way that God calls us to, people would mourn the loss of us not being in their lives, right? Like if we're making that kind of impact, that's the kind of impact that we want to make. Like no one wants to get to the end of their life and have a tombstone that reads, "Here here lies Stephen, he lived a mediocre life. He was very forgettable. You could replace him with a broomstick and you wouldn't even notice, right? We don't want that. We want the kind of life that really makes a difference and makes an impact. At the same time, if we're being candid, and I think a lot of us are, and and this is is what we wrestle with when we go home with the teaching on, on loving our neighbors is this. I think we get exhausted hearing time and time again that we need to be bolder with our faith. We need to reach our neighbors. We need to be uncomfortable and stretch ourselves and you know, get outside the box and make a difference for God. And if we're being honest, I think the mission of God, of sharing our faith, the great commission often becomes the great inconvenience. Where it's like, I'll do all the religious stuff, but actually rearranging my life. Like, that's the last thing we give over to God. That's why so many of us have heard tons of messages on this and nothing really changes because it, it, it's just an inconvenience that if we're really honest with ourselves, we're just tired and we're busy. Like, we're just trying to get through our week. We're trying to get through our day. Like, it's been an exhausting year. And even, even as things have been canceled and scaled back and we're, we're less busy, we're more exhausted. Like, there's always going to be a reason for why we don't do this. And here's what's missing in all of this. And this is why, it's, this is why we're wrapping up the teaching with this, is, is it's so easy for us to focus on the what and, and, and race over in our hearts the why. Why is this so important? Why does Jesus say, that loving our neighbors is the most important thing we can do. Why is that? Be- because if we miss the why behind this, it's just becomes, it just becomes an obligation. One more thing we're supposed to do. And our faith can very easily become not driven from our heart, but a checklist of things that Jesus tells us to do, and we feel bad when we don't. That's not why Jesus says it. That's not where the why comes from. So, I want to read a quote from, uh, there's a, bo- a great book that some of you have read before called Start With Why. Has anybody ever read that book before by a guy named Simon Sinek? Um, it's really popular in the business world. His whole idea is if you want to motivate your team to get something done, you have to constantly go back to the root of why you're doing it. You can't just say, do this. It's not the what, it's the why. You have to give them the purpose behind it. And here's one of the quotes that he says from it. When a why, when the purpose of what you're doing goes fuzzy, it becomes much more difficult to maintain the growth, the loyalty, and the inspiration, the motivation 
that helped drive the original success. So in loving our neighbors, we need to be reminded of the why, why God calls us to love our neighbors in the first place. And if we aren't, things get fuzzy, it becomes more difficult, and, and it actually becomes the reason why people don't want to follow God. Like if your friends and neighbors don't see the why behind your wanting to help them, to love them, to bless them, then it's pointless. The book goes on to say this. It says, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. That's what motivates people, is your heart behind it. It's not just about helping people. Atheists do that every day. Jews do that every day. Muslims do that every day. Non-religious people, religious people. Every, like people do that. Every people group does that every day. It's about helping people for the sake of them knowing Jesus and their lives being changed forever, for the sake of them realizing that God has such a more significant story for their life, their eternal destination being changed forever, their story being written, they're being rescued out of brokenness, the things that you've been able to see. If we don't get back to that, and they don't see that as our motivation, as opposed to an obligation that, well, my, my pastor said I'm supposed to invite you to Easter. They've missed the whole point, right? But I think that's what it often becomes. That's why I think we walk out and we feel bad and we don't do anything different, right? Like if we're just being candid. So don't let it turn into an inconvenience. Because if we keep going back to the why, why is God nudging us? Because of life change, because of transformation. That's the heartbeat behind this commandment is life change. Jesus begins and ends his ministry with this exact same challenge. I want to read, I just want to spend time in two passages that you're probably familiar with because we go back too often, but I don't want to become, I never want us to become numb to what Jesus is saying here because it's so significant. Matthew 4:18. One day, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He just spent 40 days in the desert being tempted by the devil. He ends it by saying, Go away, devil. And that's the first time he defeats Satan. And then he moves immediately into his public ministry. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Who's heard this passage before? Most of us have, right? This is familiar. It's important that we understand the weight of what's actually happening here. So, uh, so Simon, who's also called Peter, that, uh, and Andrew, they're brothers, and, and they're fishermen, and that's their full-time job. And what Jesus comes up is he tells them this, I want you to leave your full-time job and make your new full-time job learning from me. Leave what you're doing and follow me. Stop what you're doing and instead do this, that Jesus' invitation to them, it, it didn't really have like, like a middle ground. It wasn't like, keep doing what you're doing, Come and listen on Sundays, and then make subtle changes in your life over time, and three years later, you'll finally get it. He doesn't say that, right? It's kind of like, either do this or don't. But if you do this, you have to leave behind everything that you're doing before. That, that B.C. Stephen, before Christ Stephen's life, should look totally different than after Christ Stephen's life. It doesn't mean I have to quit my job. It doesn't mean you have to quit your job. It means what your life looked like before you started following Jesus. If it looks basically the exact same as now, then you missed it. Because Jesus is saying you have to leave all of it behind. It doesn't mean you have to quit everything you're doing. It means the approach through which you see your life has to look totally different. Why? Because Jesus' story for our life is transformative. It's so much more exciting. It's so much more compelling. And, and the problem is most people don't ever let go of their nets to follow Jesus. They, they listen to his teachings. 
and, and they hear it, and, and they feel good about themselves on Sunday, right? We feel good about ourselves after this day. We're glad we came, but we hold on to our old life. And we, you probably don't even realize it. You probably don't even think through the things that you've still held on to with B.C. Stephen, with B.C.U. That, it, it, but, but the transition can be rough. Like, I think, and if, you, if this is you, I'm not trying to single you out because this is me too, but one of the, the common rough transitions I see is college graduates, when they transition from graduating into a full-time job. Now, what they're excited about at first is, I have no more homework. This is amazing. What they forget is how different their life really looks. You can't keep living like a college student and being in a full-time job or it's going to catch up to you, right? We've been through, a lot of us have been through that transition before. When you're in a full-time job, you have to learn to actually sleep and not just eat carbs all the time because you'll be tired at 2 p.m., right? And you have to learn to socialize with people that are older than you. Like in college, most of the people you interact with are just other peers, you have to wear other clothes besides Goodwill t-shirts. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but when you transition to a full-time job, it can be rough. It can be exhausting. I talked to a lot of friends and former students when I was a youth pastor. And like when they're 23 years old, they're like, man, three months into their job, like this is exhausting. It's because their whole pattern has changed. It's that transition. If you keep living like the way you were into your new season of life, it's not going to work. That's how I think a lot of us are. I think a lot of us, we're, we're holding on to the nets. And if you're too busy... To do the mission of God, you haven't let go of the nets. I'm just going to let that sink in. Because I think most of us, that's us. But we, we immediately think of somebody else. If you're too busy to do the mission of God, there's still something you're holding on to from your past. And it's so important that you recognize what that is. So this call to follow Jesus and fish for people... It, it, if that's you, it just becomes a burden and an inconvenience because you're trying to do both. You're trying to live life as it was before Jesus and follow Jesus in the mission. You're almost trying to fit him. You're like trying to fit him into your life, into the way you were doing things. And when Jesus is saying, you got to leave it behind. I'm not trying to fit into your job as a full-time fisherman. In order to follow me, like put all, leave that in the boat and I'll show you a brand new way of doing everything. Could, could Peter have followed Jesus and held on to his nets? Yes or no? No, no, there was, Jesus didn't give him that option. That's the tension. It's so easy today for us to do that, which is why most people don't. Studies show it takes a thousand Christians one year to lead one person to Christ because most people don't take this seriously. We think, that, we think there's a difference between following Jesus and doing the mission of Jesus. Following Jesus is doing the mission. Don't trick yourself into thinking you can follow Jesus and not do his mission, because that's a contradiction. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not called to full-time ministry. Every single one of you is just as I am. Don't trick yourself into thinking that because I'm paid to do this, my calling is more important than yours. It's all the same. I'm just the one who's called to remind you of that. That's it. So it's, it's important, too, that we understand the invitation, the rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi. And a lot of people are like, oh, wait, I thought, was he was Jewish, but he was also creating a new covenant? Yes. Jesus was an educated rabbi. He was pro-education. I'm a part of a generation that says, we don't need no education. Look at the disciples. They weren't educated. Jesus was very educated. Paul was very educated. You don't have to be educated to do the mission of God, but let's not slam people who are either because Jesus was very educated and he knew the scriptures. And when he came through town and he told somebody, I want you to follow me, that's the greatest invitation as a young Jewish man you could receive in culture. As a rabbi coming to you because they only came to who they considered 
to be the best of the best. If you got that invitation to be mentored by a rabbi in the Jewish culture in that day, that is, there is no greater invitation you could receive. There's no greater job opportunity than to be mentored by a rabbi because it was a select few. It was like you're chosen for the job while everybody else applied, but you were the one chosen. That's what Jesus is doing here, but so much more powerful than that. Notice, he doesn't just say, come and I'm going to teach you. He says, come and I'm going to teach you so that you can teach others too. See, there's a moment of empowerment here that no other rabbi would have said. No other rabbi would have come to a young man and said, I'm going to teach you And then I'm going to step back and let you teach others. Because they were still young and uneducated. But Jesus had this moment of empowerment where he calls his disciples, he calls you and he calls me to not only listen, but but to learn and then to take active part in teaching others. That's what we miss. We think it's okay to just listen. And Jesus, Jesus never separates the two. He says, come and learn so that you can. So imagine that you and your family get really passionate about yoga. And some of you are laughing like, that'll never happen. That might not, right? Um, but you sign up for like a nighttime yoga class on Tuesday nights, and your family, you go to it. And the very first day, the instructor comes, and she's already in some weird yoga pose that you can't do. And you're like, I'm not going to catch up on this, right? And she says, I'm going to teach you how to do yoga. And then in four weeks, we're going to bring in a new class, and you're going to teach them. And I'm going to sit in the, don- in the corner and eat a donut and laugh at you, right? Now, that would change your investment to the class, wouldn't it? If from day one you knew that you have to teach this to other people. Because you're going to pay attention a little bit more. And when the yoga instructor does something, you'd understand. You're just like, can you do that again? Because my body can't do that. Can you do that again? Right? Like, you're going to make sure you get everything because you know that you're going to have to turn. You're going to have the responsibility of teaching others. It's not just on the instructor. It's now on you, too. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, I don't just want you to show up and listen and watch. I want you to teach as well. One of our, our uh, ministry partners is Teen Challenge in Brockton, which is a, a addiction recovery discipleship program that we have seen a multitude of men and women. This location is men only, but it's men and women all over the nation whose lives have been radically transformed as a result of this program. Now, here's one of the reasons I think it works so well is because before they finish the program, they come in and they're discipled and they're taught and they're mentored, but, but shortly into the program, they now have to teach and they have to lead others and they have to preach. And if you hop on Teen Challenges Facebook, there's all these, like you'll see these guys preaching sermons and they've never done that in their lives. But they're saying, you are not going to graduate this program until you've learned how to teach what you've learned and how to lead others in the same way. Because that's what discipleship is. There is no separation. And that's what Jesus' call is here. And in order to do that, you have to let go of the net. You have to let go of your old life. Because following Jesus, like that is the top priority. You can't be too busy for it if you've left everything behind to chase it. So that's why verse 20, it says this. They left their nets at once. And they followed him. Following Jesus means leaving your net and your old life behind. That's where the tension is for a lot of us. So we read through it. It's like, yep, said yes to Jesus. I got saved and I I remember getting baptized. And yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'm good. We're good. You're still living in that tension of verse 20. If you haven't fully engaged in the mission of God, you're still in verse 20. It's not about a prayer you prayed. It's not about us clapping because you got baptized. If you have not fully engaged in the mission of God, and made that your top priority, you are still holding on to at least part of your net. 
So for some of us, you are too busy to follow Jesus before you started following Jesus, and you're too busy to follow him now that you are following Jesus. Nothing changed. You were too angry before, and you're too angry now. You were too cynical about the world before, and you're too cynical now. You were too selfish before, and you're too selfish now. You were too greedy before, and you're too greedy now. Why? Because there's still a part of your net you're holding on to. Here's why I'm saying all this. Not to make you feel bad. But because that's why it's turned into an inconvenience for you. Because you're trying to do this and follow Jesus. And there's not a lot of room for both. That's why Jesus says, either do that or leave that and follow me. I don't want both. And the reason why God's mission has become such an inconvenience is because it's so easy to stay holding on to the net. So do you view money the same way as you did before you started following Jesus? Do you view your career the same? For me, before I started following Jesus, what I wanted to do with my life was be a screenwriter. And I wanted to, I, I wanted to write movies for a living and not have to talk to anybody. I was like, that sounds like a way easier life. And I'll just lock myself in a room and I'll sell it to Hollywood and I'll make money and we'll live in Beverly Hills, baby. But once I started following Jesus, I realized how boring of a life that would be because God had something so much more exciting for me. And so I wanted a career and I wanted a life, and I wanted a calling that actually made a difference in people's lives. I'm not saying there's anything against writing, but I knew that I was doing that not to make a difference for Jesus, but because it just sounded fun. So I view my career differently. Do you view your time differently? Leaving the net means this. It means my money is no longer just about me, but my money is a gift to be shared. My career is a calling to make impact. My time is an opportunity to help others. That's the tension we have to wrestle with because we've made it too easy to follow Jesus without participating in his mission. We've made it too easy to follow Jesus and still hold on to our nets. The world doesn't need more people to listen to Jesus' teaching. The world needs more people that will truly drop their nets and follow him, join his mission. The world needs more fishers of men that are willing to inconvenience their lives to help bless their neighbors. When that happens, the world will be transformed. Jesus even does, like throughout his ministry, we have check-ins here. He has check-ins where he turns to people. He says, I know a lot of you guys have been following me for a while. If you're not all in, you just leave. And it's kind of awkward. They're like, you're supposed to be a nice guy. And he says, I, well, I mean, you're kind of wasting real estate. Like you can listen, but if, if this isn't something you're actually going to take to heart, I don't know how much of a difference it makes. It makes you feel better. I don't know if it makes the world better. That's how Jesus began his ministry, and here's how Jesus ends it. What you're going to notice is it's almost the exact same thing. His bookends, the beginning of his ministry with these same guys, is almost the exact same thing he says at the end, which, by the way, uh, like a literary function, is every great story begins and ends at the same moment. This is just showing off that God, the, the great storyteller, the great ministry of Jesus, is a beautiful, the best story ever told. And here's what it says. There's this moment where Jesus, it's Matthew 28, and this is another verse that a lot of us have heard before over and over and over again. Here's the context, Matthew 28. Jesus, he tells all of his disciples, I have to leave you, but I'll be back. He's saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised from the dead. They didn't pick up on it. They all saw him die. They mourned. They fled. And then he rose. And that's what we celebrate next weekend. And then he walked around and he showed off that he conquered death. And the disciples were like blown away. And all these people were like trying to fathom what just happened. And so this is the moment. This is one of the final moments he has with the same, the same group of disciples, the 11 disciples. It used to be 12, but Judas betrayed him. So now it's, it's Jesus and the 11. This is almost like the post-game huddle victory in the locker room. 
It's like we just dominated. We just did everything I said we were going to do. Let's celebrate it together. Only it's not in a locker room. It's on a beautiful mountain overlooking Galilee and all the beautiful seas and all the towns that they'd done this ministry. So imagine you're sitting there with Jesus. Here's what it says, Matthew 28, 16. It says, the 11 disciples left for Galilee going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. And I say it that way because there's literally an exclamation point. There's not a lot of exclamation points in the Bible. So when there are, there's a reason for it. Some of them doubted. They worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Why does it say that? Because these are the guys who saw Jesus die before their eyes. And here he is teaching them, and some of them are doubting that it's him. And it's like an exclamation point to get our attention. Because it's like, how in the world could you doubt Jesus at that point, right? A lot of us have doubts about Jesus. What if you were one of the few people that saw him die, and then a few days later, he's sitting on a mountain teaching you? Would you doubt him? Yes or no? No, right? Because it's like, that's him. Like, how in the world could I doubt that this is the Son of Man? How could I doubt that this is the Son of God, that this is God and human? I saw him die, and now he's alive. But at the same time, I doubt Jesus all the time. Like, I've seen Jesus work in my life, and I doubt him. And, and, and there's been moments of desperation where I said, I'm not going to get through, and he gets me through, and then I doubt him. And there's moments where it's been so obvious and evident that Jesus is real, but then I doubt him. I think one of the reasons that exclamation point is there is to say, we're the same way. Jesus can work in our lives. He can raise something from the dead, and we're still going to doubt him at times. So it's saying, hey, you do the same thing. So they worshiped him. Some of them doubted, but they worshiped him. And then Jesus came and he told his disciples, and just imagine, you've just been worshiped. Right? This is Jesus. He's just been praised and worshiped. Now he stands up to give his speech. It's like the Oscar acceptance speech. Everyone's just applauded. And here's how he begins his speech. Here's what he says. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And I want to pause there for a moment because this is so important. This is how he kicks it off. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has all authority to help you through anything that you need because he has all power and he has all authority. And he's kicking off this. He's about to say the exact same thing he said at the beginning, that our job is to now share what we've learned. But before he kicks it off, he says, I want to remind you all, I have all power. And I have all authority. Whatever you're going through, I have the power and the authority to help you to overcome. If you're too worried, I have the power and the authority to help you to overcome that. If you're too stressed, I have the power and the authority to persevere with you. If you're stressed that you're not going to financially get through it, it's okay. I have all power and I have all authority to get you through that. He's like, he doesn't want you to miss this before you get to the mission. Right now, some of you, you just need to rest in that truth right now because you're stressed, you're worried, you're overwhelmed, you're not sure how you're going to get through. You've got a family member that's sick. Like, you don't know all this stuff. There's such, such uncertainty. Right now, you just need to hear before you even jump to the mission, God has all power and all authority to help you through that. And you ask him for that. That's what he's saying. He's like, let's not skip over this. All power and authority right here, right here. We have everything that we need to overcome right here. He's reassuring us. And he's saying this, if you've dropped your net, if you've repented of your sins, if you're with me, if you're a follower, you have all power and all authority too. Because I'm with you. Because you've invited me into your life. Because he has all power and all authority. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. Here's what he's saying is God's mission is a joint partnership. It's you and him working together on this. That's why he doesn't start this by saying, here's what you do. He starts it by saying, here's what I'm going to do. Because I have all power and I have all authority. 
and we're in this together. And the partnership of God's mission is your effort plus God's power and authority. That's where we get anxious, is we forget the partnership. We think it's just about us. Making sure we say the right thing. Making sure that we have the right answers. Making sure that we have the right opportunities. Making sure that we're not too awkward or, or, or like we come off as weird. What we've missed is it's not really about us. It's about God's power and God's authority and our effort. That's it. It's just our effort. Trust me, if it's just about your power and authority, you will fail 100% of the time. It's not about that. God's mission has never been about you. It's just about your effort. Because it's God's power. It's God's authority. You can't change anybody's heart. You can't. You can't change your neighbor's heart. You can't convince them in to follow God. It's only by God's power and his authority. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's so important you remember that. Because what that does, that takes responsibility off of you. See, God's mission is his responsibility accomplished through us for him. He's the one that changes hearts. And he's saying, here's what I think you'd be surprised about, is the number of neighbors around you that I'm ready to work in their hearts, but no one will talk to them. It's just your effort. That's the thing. It's not the power and authority that's missing. It's your effort. So if you feel anxious, that's, that's why. Any Fast and the Furious fans in here? We're all secretly Fast and the Furious. There's like nine of these movies. We're all watching them, right? I, when I was in Texas, there was a 70-year-old woman at our church. We called her Mama Dean. She was a quintessential Texan. I went over to her house. She had the entire Fast and the Furious catalog on her shelf. I said, Mama Dean, you watch Fast and the Furious? She goes, baby, everybody watches Fast and the Furious. <laughs> We all watch Fast and the Furious. We all know about Fast and the Furious. In the, in the movie, like, it, they're drag racing, and it's all of these guys, like, souping up cars. I'm like, that world couldn't be more opposite than my 2015 Nissan Altima. Like, I couldn't imagine a more opposite life than that. But you're watching, you're like, oh, this is cool. What is the magic, like, moment when they win the race? They press this button, and what happens? The NOS. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like the magic, like... The racing juice that speeds up and gives them the power boost. It's like in Super Mario Kart. It's like the mushroom that it accelerates the car. That's what causes them to win the race. They can work on their car all day long, and they can soup up their engine, and they can put the pedal to the metal, but until they press that button, that's what causes them to win the race. When we try to do our mission, and it's all about us, and it's all about our efforts, it's like we can soup up our car all I want, but the Holy Spirit is just saying, press the button. I've got the power. I've got the authority. We're going to win the race. Don't make it about you. That's what makes mission so difficult for us, is we forget that the, the NOS, the spiritual NOS of the Holy Spirit is saying, I have the power and authority. I'm just asking you to put your foot on the pedal. That's it. That's all you have to do. I'll take care of the rest. You don't have to have the nice car. I got it. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. You think you need anything more? No. All you have to do is put your foot on the pedal, and a lot of us won't do it because we think it's about us, and it's overwhelming. So that's the first part, verse 19. Therefore, therefore, because we're a team, this is what Jesus is saying, and I have all power and authority, and this isn't really about your authority at all, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Remember he said you're going to be the teacher one day? This is it. Now that you've learned, you turn around and you teach others. You teach them to follow me. You teach them to drop their nets. Don't allow them to hold on to their old life. That's the trick. That's the trick of Satan. Is if he can get you to hold on to any part of your net, he will. He's saying, no, 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 no. Not interested in that. And be sure of this. I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. 
Joint partnership. You and God. Your effort plus God's power. He's saying, me and you, we can change the world together. You on your own, you can make temporary changes. Eternal impact, it's you plus my power. Not your power, your effort plus my power. See, it's not really about us, is it? He's just saying, who's willing to put their foot on the gas? That's all he's looking for. He doesn't need you to be impressive. He doesn't need you to be more outgoing. He doesn't need you to be more knowledge of the Bible. He just needs you to be a little bit bolder. Because he's already got the power. He's already at work in their hearts. Are you tracking? That's the why. The why is God's already at work. He's just looking for someone to tell him. That's all that's missing. Why is this the most important thing we can do in our lives? Because hell is real. And God has a better story for you. Because hell is real and God has a better story for my neighbors, for my friends, for my family. Like, why in the world am I okay with them going another week without knowing that God's power is ready to work in their lives? Why am I okay with going another week without them knowing that God has a better story plan, that God wants to rescue them from their sins, without them knowing of the true joy that follows, of the true power that follows, of the security, of the confidence, of the love, of the peace that I have? Why am I okay with that? Because it's awkward. Because I'm busy. See, when we miss the why, it becomes so easy to make excuses, doesn't it? That's why we all struggle with this, and this is me included. It's not like I'm going out and sharing the gospel every single day. This is some, The enemy will do whatever he can to cause you to hold on to the net, anything that he can. So as we're a week before Easter, I'm going to ask you a question that we ask often. Who do you need to bring with you? Not because of your effort because of God's power that wants to work in their life. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. Trust me, I'm replaceable, and so are you. But he's looking for someone that's willing to put their foot on the gas. Who do you need to bring? Who's somebody, who's a neighbor that God has put in your life that their life could actually be changed? If you just had the 30-second moment of courage this week and you asked them to come with you, and then you let God take care of the rest, if they say no, that's on God. Do you know that? You're not a failure. Obedience is success. So you've done your job. It's like you've passed God the ball. If, if they say no, okay. That means God didn't want them. That's okay. Your job is just to show up and pass it. So what's the, uh, what's the net in your life that you need to drop? For a lot of us, it's reputation. We're worried what other people are thinking of us. We're worried how people are going to perceive us. Or we've brought it up before and it wasn't taken the right way, right? We can all think of people like that. It's like, ah, Brad, it's awkward. I don't know how to bring this up to them. I understand that. But that's holding on to your net. Worried more about what they think than what God thinks. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's the idol of busyness. I think that's most of us. It's really easy to make excuses for why we don't. We're too busy. Just drop it. Let me close with this story. When I was in seventh grade, there was a little chubby kid in my class named Jake, and he would even say he's, he would even say, chubby's nice, Stephen, I'm 20 pounds past chubby, so Jake, little Jake, and he was like, not the coolest kid in class, wore the oversized t-shirt, had Kool-Aid stains, I'm like, just wear a clean shirt, Jake, and he didn't, he didn't, that's fine, but he would, he was so bold, this little kid, and I'll never forget, I mean, this was like 20 years ago, and I remember this kid, and I remember one day, 
he walked into our science class, and it was like right before things were starting. He had these little like index card-sized piece of paper, and he went to like the few like a student across the room, and he just said, "Hey, my youth group is having a like a concert outreach this Friday with pizza and concert, and it's two bucks." I remember, he kept saying, "It's two bucks," and he handed it to them, and like, and then he went to the next table, and he went one by one, and I'm like, I'm watching, and I'm looking at the body language of the students that he's talking to. And I'm like seeing, like he hands him this flyer, then he goes to the next one, and you know, like these two girls like roll their eyes, and they're like, (laughs) they throw away. Like I'm seeing him get rejected moment after moment after moment. But he keeps going. And he goes to the next table. He says, hey, I've got this concert. It's it's two bucks. It's two bucks. And he invites them. Like, okay. And then some people are nice enough, but you can just feel that it's kind of awkward, right? Like, you can kind of feel the rejection in the room. And it gets to the point where I'm, like, one of the last people he talks to. And now it's like, if I say yes, everybody else thinks I'm the loser, right? So it's like this awkward moment where I'm like, this kid is resilient. And he's going to everybody. He's like, hey, man, if you want to come, it's, it's two bucks. And he comes, and I'll never forget. And he handed that to me, and I looked at it, and I shoved it in my pocket. And I didn't say anything. So okay. And, like, I barely knew him, but I shoved it in my pocket. And I got home later that day, and I looked at that flyer, and I thought, that kid's got courage. Like, I want to have the kind of courage that even when I hear no, 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 it's okay. You know why? Because he knew for each person he talked to, his job was just to put the pedal on the gas. And he knew that God had a better story for them. So I, I almost wonder if in his head, as he's hearing no, which would cause most of us to say, ah, never mind, that didn't work out. If he's in his mind saying, God wants to work in their life. No? Okay. God wants to work in their life. No? Okay. God wants to work in their life. And I'll tell you, God worked through him. Because I got that flyer. I never went to that event. But you know what I did? I kept that flyer on my desk for like a month. And like three weeks later at my church, they, they uh, had this big event called Disciple Now that I went to. It was the first like, youth church event I ever went to. Like, I'd been in church for a long time, but I never really cared about it. And I remember thinking, looking at that flyer saying, I'm missing something about God because I don't care about him during the week. And if this kid cares about him so much that he's willing to be rejected by every single student in his class because he believes that God is better I want to figure out why. Went to that event, it changed my life. He does not know that. He doesn't need to know that, right? Because it wasn't about his effort. It's about God's power. The only thing missing is that that's the why. It's sad that as a 33-year-old, I look up to a seventh grader named Jake, right? It's sad that I think Jake would put most of us to shame when it comes to sharing our faith. That's one of the things I love about teenagers is I think they're bolder than me. I think they're more courageous because I don't think they weigh the cost in a good way, which is why Peter and Andrew, they were teenagers when Jesus told them to drop their nets. These were not grown men. These were like 15-year-olds who were brand new, who were still working for their dads. And he says, I'm choosing them because they're bold enough to actually do it. That's the why. So let's not let the Great Commission turn into the great inconvenience. 
Let's just put the foot on the gas and see what God does. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful that you don't give up on me. I'm thankful that your power transcends my effort, God. Lord, that you're so much bigger than me, my ability, my skills, my personality, my confidence. God, all you're doing is you're looking down at hev- from heaven and you're saying, who's just willing to take my power? Bring it to other people. Who's willing to have the courage? That's why he says love your neighbors because he knows, he, God, you have such a more exciting story for us than we have for ourselves. So let that be what drives us, Lord. I pray that I care more about my friend's eternity than I do my own awkwardness. God, I, I pray I care more about their life change than I do my insecurity, my inconvenience, God. Help me to care more about that. Help each of us to care more about that. I think even now you're putting names of people on our hearts that you're saying we got to be bolder with, and we just, we just have to show them some love this week, and then step back and see what you do, see how your power takes over. God, if there's anybody in this room that has never fully said yes to you, that has never fully dropped their nets and turned from their sins and repented of their sins and said, Jesus, will you forgive me? Right now, where they're sitting, I pray they do in their heart. They say, Jesus, will you forgive me? I repent that I'm broken, that I'm a sinner, that I've fallen short. Will you forgive me? Will you take the sacrifice on the cross as a forgiveness for my sins? I want to be made right with you. I want to be made new with you. I want to go all in, truly drop my net and follow you. I want to go all in, God. Please don't let Satan hold me back anymore. I'm ready, God. I'm ready. I know you've got a better story. God, if there's anybody in this room, I pray that they cry out to you in their heart right now, God. Thank you that you give us second chance. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you invite us into your power, your authority, and your mission. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.